Hey there, thanks for visiting the podcast of the Guelph Vineyard Church. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast using whatever platform you listen on, or visit our website at guelphvineyard.com. Here's this week's message brought to you by Rachel Glenn. Good morning. I am grateful for the opportunity to speak with you today. There's some moments in my life where I'm just keenly aware that things could have been really different for me. And I felt that this morning. So I'm just really grateful to be here and to be with you. And it's always an honor to be asked to speak about and teach the Word of God. So I hold that really carefully, and I'm grateful to be with you, friends. So I actually haven't been around the Guelph Vineyard a lot over the last few months, um, and I've missed being able to interact with you regularly and see your faces. Um, I've been doing a healing care course through the Meeting House down in Oakville on Sundays. Uh, That's been since October. So it's been a lot of time that I've been putting in every week doing that, and it's been quite a journey uh, to put it in the context that Brady has taught on recently, I've been working on cracking the code. So taking, beginning to understand the negative stories that I have about God and about myself and learning to reframe them in a different way. Um, it's been hard and I wrestled through a lot, but I'm here today with a fuller sense of who God created me to be my purpose, and a fuller sense of who God is. And that's exciting to me, just to have the opportunity to engage with him in richer and fuller ways. So I hope that the time that I've invested helps me to bring some meaning here this morning. So we are about halfway through the season of Lent, Lent being the 40 days leading up to Easter, where we reflect on the events leading up to the death of Christ on the cross. And as a church, we've been exploring the cross from different perspectives. Chris spoke on love last week. Wayne McQueen will be joining us in two weeks. Um, And today, I've been invited to unpack the power of the cross with you. So as a kid, my understanding of Easter was basically candy. How much candy would the Easter bunny leave me? How much candy could I manipulate my younger siblings into giving me? How much candy could I sneak from them on the sly? And once I learned how to game the system, how much could I get in advance? So you kind of get the point. So for me... Easter was candy. It was a fun, happy holiday where you got a sugar rush and on you went. My dad used to buy us these Laura Secord eggs every year. I don't know if anyone's familiar with them. Um, And I loved them. I look forward to them every single year. And that's kind of when I think of Easter, it's funny. I I think of Laura Secord Easter eggs. Funny enough, last year, my dad bought us some And it was so gross, you guys. (laughs) They're like sickly sweet. And like, I just couldn't even eat it. So dad, if you happen to hear this one day, I'm sorry. I just picked off the chocolate from the outside. (laughs) 
to give you a little bit more context, my parents are, are they're both first-generation Christians in their families. And aside from some Anglican culture that snuck into my dad's life from living next door to an Anglican church, we don't really have a Christian culture in our family. My grandparents didn't talk to us about Jesus or the meaning of Easter or really anything outside of a secular understanding and fun Easter egg hunts. So my mom became a believer when she was pregnant with me and my dad when I was a teenager. And when we were young, we started to attend church with my mom. At Easter, she would often buy my sister and I matching dresses and hats, and we loved it. We would kind of prance around. It was a thing at our church, so a lot of people would have these fancy dresses, and you'd show up on Sunday, and it was really like this little fashion parade. Um, So we were super into that, and it was fun to prance and twirl in our finery and see our friends, and we would do coloring pages at Sunday school and have snacks, and then we'd go home and we'd eat ham and scalloped potatoes, the end. So as I got older, I became aware of the broader story around Easter. We attended a large conservative church in Burlington, about 45 minutes south of here, and kids were integrated into the services more around middle school. When we were younger, you would just go straight to Sunday school, so you were, we didn't have the kids in like we do here. So for me, there was this really significant shift from the kind of fun, cartoon, candy, twirly dress side of Easter to the reality of Christ's death on the cross, and rightfully so. But for me, it was this really harsh, sudden exposure to an understanding of the crucifixion, and I had a really hard time with it. Uh, the violence around the crucifixion and the pain that Jesus suffered and what he endured were really, really heavily emphasized once I got to junior high. And there was this kind of underlying thing of how guilty I should feel because of what Christ did for me. And there's certainly theological truth in the realities of it, but the way it was presented and the contrast from how I understood it was confusing and hard. And it it might be helpful to understand that the church that I went to, like many churches, parents were really conservative about what TV shows and what movies kids were exposed to. And in our home, we weren't allowed to watch anything violent. So does anyone remember the cartoon The Roadrunner? Yeah, I wasn't allowed to watch it. Too violent. But then we would get to church, and we would talk about these gruesome details of the crucifixion. And we would sing songs about being covered in the blood of Jesus. And then we would hear messages from our pastor about God demanding death and sacrifice. And it was really frightening to me. It, it didn't sound like good news. And I could never quite figure out, once I heard that side more clearly, why people celebrated Easter. It didn't feel very celebratory. 
So, and I began to see God as this very powerful, very domineering, mean guy who let the son that he apparently loved die in a really, really terrible way. And adding that message to other messages that I was hearing about God led me to understand God the Father as this unappeasable, unapproachable, angry boss man on a power trip. I didn't really like Easter, to be honest. And I struggled for a long time to know how to engage with the cross because it made me feel scared of God and very far from the intimate relationship that I later learned was possible. So I don't know if it's just me who had these thoughts and who found some of these details scary or if anyone else can relate to that. But either way, I think that we can all relate to the idea of having a negative story about God and how that can negatively impact our faith and how we interact with God. So one of the key things that I didn't understand growing up was the power of God or the power of the cross. I understood half of the story, but not all of it. And I was missing the nugget that made a hard story, a sometimes violent story, a good story that ultimately changed my life. So I want to invite you to explore that with me a little bit over the next few minutes. So in our current culture, we understand power as the ability to direct or influence the behavior of others. We see power expressed as authority, control, dominance. It's forceful, strong. We tend to see power as a largely masculine trait that is tied to position or to title. Our culture values power. And we see it wielded daily in both healthy and unhealthy ways, in our leaders, in our politics, in the marketplace, and in other things like gender relations, race relations, and then in the more subtle, more nuanced areas of life, like marriage and community and relationship kids playing on the playground. If you have kids in elementary school, you know the power struggle of recess. And I will pray for you. So there is no escaping power in our society. So in Christian culture, we often think of power framed in terms of an all-powerful God. We use words like mighty, strong fortress, ruler over the nations. Job describes the thunder of God's power. We see examples in the Bible of a God who makes the foundations of the earth shudder and tremble and who parted the Red Sea. He has an active, strong power. In the New Testament, we see Jesus use his power to cast out demons to calm the rough waters on the sea, and to heal the sick. 
God's power is active and it's vibrant and it's unlimited. It's exciting. This will totally date me, but in the 80s, Frank Peretti's novels, This Present Darkness, Piercing the Darkness, seems like a lot of you have are familiar. So they were really popular kind of with my group of Christian friends. And many of us grew up thinking of spiritual power as this constant battle between good and evil. We associated power with battle, warfare, aggression. And those are all aspects of power for sure. But they're only part of the story. So, what is the rest of the story? I think we can find it in the cross. So when we look at the Easter story, it's important to understand that the full meaning and impact of the cross took time to understand. We have the luxury of hindsight when we look back and when we talk about the crucifixion, but the people in Jesus' day, they could only see what was unfolding in front of them, minute by minute, day by day. And at the time of the crucifixion, the cross seemed like a failure. It was the opposite of the way that Jesus' followers understood power. Jesus died. The Jewish people had been longing for a Messiah. They knew the Old Testament prophecies, and they were waiting for their deliverer to come and to redeem Israel. They understood kings in terms of uh, powerful men who were present in their lives. So rulers like King David, Herod the Great, Caesar, many of us have heard stories of them to today. These were men with title and wealth and importance. And the people imagined that the king of the Jews would be a man of position with the thundering power of God. They expected someone who would overthrow the Roman occupiers and reclaim Israel's throne. But instead of Jesus slaying his enemies, they slayed him. Instead of a powerful king, king of position, they got a normal man who was born as a baby in a manger to a mom who wasn't married, to a family of no real position. There's nothing seemingly powerful about that. Jesus is described as humble and There's just, it says in the scriptures, nothing that would attract us to him. It was confusing, I think, to the people of his time. So when Jesus died, the king, Christ's followers put their hope in, died. And they watched him die. His disciples, his followers, His mother watched him die. His followers lamented and ached at his loss. 
In Mark 16, we read that the disciples were grieving and weeping after his death. And it wasn't just that they lost their close friend or a treasured teacher. They lost their hope. Their story was broken, and nothing made sense. So when we look back to the days leading up to the crucifixion, at his trial, Jesus said nothing. We read in all of the Gospels that the leading priests of the day kept accusing him of crimes. And Pilate asked, like, aren't you going to answer them? What about all these charges they're bringing against you? And to his surprise, Jesus said nothing. He didn't stand up and yell and fight and defend himself. He was silent. Later, the soldiers mocked Jesus. They put a robe on him, a crown of thorns, and they taunted him. And still, he said nothing. And when he hung on the cross, dying, they jeered at him. You said you were going to destroy this temple and build it up again in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. They scoffed that he had saved others, but he couldn't even save himself. Even the men next to Jesus, hanging on their own cross, ridiculed him. The people wanted a king, not a criminal. And they resisted the idea of a suffering Messiah. So what happened to the power that the disciples saw during Jesus' ministry? The healing, the driving out of demons, the calming of the waters, the things that we understand as power and mighty The only time during the crucifixion that we see what we classically understand as power is at the moment of Jesus' death. The curtain rips in two. Rocks split. The earth trembles. The tombs open. The dead were raised. The power breaks loose in heaven and on earth. But it's not until Jesus dies. Reading over the story of the crucifixion, it struck me that the taunts that were thrown at Christ throughout the trial um, with the soldiers, even when he was hanging on the cross, that they're really similar and echo the temptations that Satan enticed him with in the 40 days in the desert when he was fasting. Christ was tempted to use his power to prove that he was the Son of God to use that mighty idea of power that we understand and to use that to say, I am God. I am the Messiah. But that's not how Jesus rolls. So he didn't fulfill his promises through the use of conventional human power or displays of force, but through self-giving love expressed through his death. Christ emptied himself of power. And it's here that the cross reframes our understanding of power. So through his death, Jesus turns power upside down 
and completely reimagines it in a way that no one sees coming. And instead of giving his people the king that they expected, he gives them a savior who reconciles the world to himself. He died, but he rose again three days later. He defeated the grave. That is ultimate power. And it's in the rising, in the resurrection, that Jesus makes things right between God and man. He does the impossible. He reconciles or restores our relationship with God. He does more than just fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament. He changes everything. So reconciliation requires imagination. Asking, what would it take to make things right? God imagined a different relationship between God and man. And then by setting aside his power, he made things right. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 to 19 in the message says, Because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah that way once and got it all wrong, as you know. We certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Now we look inside, and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. The old life is gone, and a new life burgeons. Look at it. All this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him, and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. So instead of putting on a crown and a purple robe and taking up his scepter and sitting on a throne, the king of the Jews laid his robe on the ground And he invited us to walk over it towards him into relationship. His body became the bridge. No king had ever done that before. And by the setting aside of his power and relinquishing it to the margins, Christ was the bridge to our freedom to possibility, to relationship, to a reimagined story, to transformation, reconciliation, and redemption. Sweet redemption. He was the vision to a new way of life. A fresh start, as the verses I just read indicated. By staying on that cross and resisting the urge to rise up and prove that he was the Son of God in a powerful way that the people would understand in that moment, 
he waited and he changed everything. He did far more than overthrow the Roman occupiers. He reclaimed death and he changed eternity. And that is good news. That is why we celebrate. That is how I interact with the Easter story now. My life is forever changed because of Jesus. He was humble. He relinquished his thundering power and he built us a bridge to God over his body. As we read on in the Gospels, we see Jesus continue to reimagine power in the way that he first appears after the resurrection. So Mark 16 tells us that the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene. She was a woman that Jesus had cast out seven demons from. Interestingly, every single gospel records her being at the trial the crucifixion, and at the resurrection. There's a lot of details that are different as you read through the Gospels, but the fact that this detail is in all of them, we need to, we need to notice that. So culturally, it made zero sense that Jesus would appear to a woman. Women were second-class citizens. They were considered unreliable witnesses it would have made more sense for Jesus to appear to John, his beloved disciple, or Peter, the rock on which he would build his church, or another man of significance and stature and power in the community. But instead, Jesus shows himself to an unmarried, insignificant woman, previously demon-possessed, and tells her to go testify to the disciples. When Jesus was raised from the dead, and he wanted this fact proclaimed to the world, he first commissioned one of his female followers to share the news. The way of Jesus invites everyone into the story even those who are seen as less than and who are scattered to the margins. The power of the cross makes way for the defamed, for the nameless, for the unacknowledged, for the unloved. All are given equal footing in Jesus' upside-down kingdom. In Jesus, there is welcome and opportunity and dignity. There's possibility. And we can see that thread throughout the life of his ministry in the New Testament. We see how the story of the Good Samaritan. Samaritans were outcast. But Jesus used the Samaritan to make a really important point. He used prostitutes like Rahab, lepers, Zacchaeus, a hated tax collector, Paul, 
who killed Christians became a significant leader in the church. The demonized, like Mary Magdalene. Slaves, like Hagar. Tamar. Christ's own disciples were fishermen. Insignificant people. But Christ looks at them and sees possibility. Christ gives power to the powerless. Voice to the marginalized, family to the orphan, home to the lost. The meek are exalted, the proud are brought low. Wrong ways are set right. Isaiah 40 says, He fills in the valleys and levels the mountains and hills, straightens the curves, and smooths out the rough places. Whatever was wrong in the road is corrected. And the power of the cross shows us a new way of life that we can see ourselves reflected in. The good news of Easter is that Jesus' death changes everything. And we can celebrate the full story of Easter. Not just the candy, the twirly dress, the cartoon parts, the shiny happy parts, but the hard parts, the sometimes violent parts. Because our God reimagined our relationship with him and he offers us a new story. He changed power, and it changed everything. This is a good story of redemption and inclusion and possibility where power is relinquished to the margins. And that is very, very good news. Jesus expands our tent walls. And that's one thing I love about the Vineyard Church and why I resonate with it is because there's room for everyone under our roof. And we expand our walls as the people come. And there is room for the poor and the sick and the hurting and the marginalized, the powerless, the people who don't make sense in our society. God sees each and every one of us as possible and loved and valued. In our church, we see examples of that even through our children. Children aren't less than. We invite them. We've had lots of times where a child has drawn a picture during worship And they are invited up to share what God has said to them with the same voice that we offer to our adults. And that is the beauty of the kingdom. So if you find yourself in the margins, lonely, hurting, feeling oppressed, there is room for you in the story of Jesus. He invites you, and he is that bridge for you. 
And I invite you, as we press on in the Easter season, to reflect on the cross, to reflect on the invitation of Jesus.